he carries on as the incarnate Christ to fulfill all his promises to us. And that, that, that highlights, you know, he is the prophet of prophets. You know, he is the definitive revelation of God. He is the priest of all priests. He is the sacrifice to which all sacrifice is pointed. And he is the king of all kings. He's David's greater son whose kingdom Mm. will have no end. So as that part part highlights and as revelation 19, 11 through 16 highlights, the day is coming when he will vindicate the fullness of all those offices of prophet and priest and king for his people. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're listening to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Grune, and I'm uh, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church. And I'm joined this morning with Ryan Chase, a pastor at Emmaus, and Caleb Dernberger, a pastoral resident at Emmaus. And we're going to dive back into our study and walkthrough of the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith. Um, It does feel like every time we come to another topic, it's like, oh, man, there's just so much we could talk about here. Um, And that's kind of the point is... The statement is meant to to have a brevity about it. It's meant to have a conciseness to it. Um, And so, of course, we're never going to, in the 25, 30-minute, 30-ish, 5-ish minutes we talk about these things, we're never going to cover all that could be said. Um, Oh, but we could try. But we could sure try. (laughs) So, you know, at the risk of making every episode that we come to another section of the statement of faith a three-part thing, um, we're just going to do our best to cover this I one. I don't know why you're looking at me. I well, I just <laughs> well one, I you're in front of me. Rain it in. Two, you gotta rain it in. So all right, here we go. So we are at this week the person of Christ. We can do this in ten minutes. This is <laughs> Oh yeah, easy. <laughs> we can figure the we can luckily all the council have already figured this out. So yeah. we don't have to do oh, it. Yeah. All right, here we go. So we are gonna take this in three sections. The three sections that are listed in the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith and just by the way, just as a way of reminder, if you're wondering where can I look at the statement of faith, if you go to our website, EmmausRoadSF.com slash beliefs, um, that will, if you scroll down, the entire statement of faith is listed there in PDF form, also in Dropbox form. So I'm just reading straight from that. So under the person of Christ, there are three subheadings, the incarnation and two natures, um, dealing with his ontology, who Jesus is before he interacts with the creation at all or the with redemptive history at all, the earthly life and ministry, and then finally his death, resurrection, and reign. So we're just going to take these in turn and do our best to, to stay succinct. Um, so incarnation and two natures. In the fullness of time, God the Father sent his eternal son, the second person of the Trinity, into the world as Jesus the Christ. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, taking on himself a fully human nature with all its attributes and frailties, yet without sin. In this union, two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in the one person of the Divine Son without confusion, mixture, or change." 
our Redeemer acted in and through both his human and divine natures in ways appropriate to each, with both natures being preserved and neither diminished by the other. Yet both his human and divine natures are united and find expression in the one person of the eternal Son. Thus, our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son incarnate, is fully God and fully man, able to be our all-sufficient Savior and the only mediator between God and man. So, hmm. well, that's just about covers it. That, it that's, that's that's it. Um, in that in that section, it deals with um, it, it gets to its incarnation, but that first sentence in the fullness of God or, or the fullness of time, God the Father sent His eternal Son, the hmm. second person of the Trinity, hmm. into the world. So that implies, um, as we've already been talked about, up in the heading of God, uh, God the Triune God. God. Um, the, there are three persons of this Trinity, and this is the second one. The Son has always existed as the Son, um, the eternal begetting of the Son. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, wrapping our heads around that, you know, I have, there was me, and then I grew up, and then now I've had a Son. There was, that implies this linear time, mm-hmm. a progression of time. Um, God the Father and God the Son are not like that. Mm-hmm. Wherever there has been God the Father, there's always been the beginning yeah. of the eternal Son. Co-eternal. So it's his sonship, his filioness. Um, his Which, and that's important. I mean, it'll be talked about later on in the work of Christ, but that needs to be true for salvation to be true. Mm-hmm. That I mean, yep. those two things go together. Yep. So Exactly. The, the, the ontology of God is... Is informs and must be clear before we get to the economy of God in redemptive history. Mm-hmm. So, God the Father sent forth His Son. So now we have this. He took on flesh. John says, "In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and He became one of us. He He incarnated, meaning be, infleshed us. He, mm-hmm. in order, and this is important, to dwell among us. Mm-hmm. He tabernacled with us in a way that." Was is just so surprising that God would become man. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what this section's talking about is specifically how that makes some sort of sense, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because and this is this is critical. And it, the language of the statement reflects some of the major early controversies that were that were involved. Because after the death and resurrection of Jesus, his ascension, and as the church began to go forth, and as the Great Commission began to be accomplished, and nations were becoming Christianized, namely the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire through Constantine became Christianized, um, people started asking questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, wait, how can, because, you know, you just take the, the Roman Greek mythology, I mean, there's some categories of that, of, you know, Her- Hercules being a god-man, or uh, this, uh, this deity yet still a man. Okay, but how is it working here given all of all of scripture? Mm-hmm. Um, so the early church really began most of its councils, these these great meeting of the minds where everybody got in a room and hashed out what do we what does the Bible say? These councils early on had to deal with the person of Jesus mm-hmm. and his two natures, his divine nature and his human nature, and how do those relate? And that, that sentence kind of in the middle of in this union the two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, all those words are really important, were inseparably joined together in the one person of the divine son. And then these words all kind of address a different uh, heresy, confusion, mixture, or change. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Because those were kind of the three categories. Was he a created 
being. Right. How does how can the two natures, divine and human, exist in the one person? So just like in the Trinity, we talk about three persons, one essence. In Christ, we're talking about one person, two natures. And how do those two natures relate to one another? Is the it was the question of the early church? Yeah, in a a question that was around for a long time and mm-hmm. took on different answers. I, I think it's um, worth noting along the way with this as an example that um, y- we hear sometimes today the argument like, well, these early church councils, this is a few hundred years after Jesus and they made up these doctrines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. um, but the reality is we see in the New Testament ex- itself at the time that Paul and Peter and John are writing these letters to churches throughout the Roman Empire that they are dealing with false teaching already. Yeah. They're warning about false teachers. They are calling churches to hold fast to the trustworthy word that was delivered to them, um, to hold fast to the tradition that they received. So already at that point, that when the New Testament is being written, there were false teachings. So we mm-hmm. shouldn't be surprised that over time, false teachings, some of them gained some ground, got some traction, had more following, Mm -hmm. and that the church has always had to respond to that by clarifying, no, we believe this, not that. Mm -hmm. And so there are these definitions of affirming this is what the church has always believed. So it it wasn't like a doctrine was invented and suddenly for the first time people are saying, oh, we we believe this about Jesus. No, they're they're clarifying, no, this is the tradition. This is the gospel that was preached to us that we received, in which we stand, by which we're being saved, 1 Corinthians 15. So uh, then, yeah, the the early church had to deal with some of these through various gatherings, like in Ephesus in AD 431 and um, what we call the the Chalcedonian definition from 451 um, because both of those had to do with kind of the oneness of Jesus and the, and the two-ness right. uh, and understanding those two things and how they relate. In what sense is he one? He is one person because there were false teachings that uh, taught things like, well, this divine mind logos came in and replaced the human mind. So he was, he was a human being, but his human mind was replaced by this divine right. mind. Mm-hmm. So why like is a, that a problem, Ryan? <laughs> well, because then he's not fully God, right? And he's not really fully human right. either. Yeah. He's, he's kind of got his human mind right. taken out, this uh, lobotomy, and then <laughs> this divine mind implanted. Yeah. Um, so he's not really what we are, and he can't save us fully. I think at the root of all of yes, these is, is the dealing with the 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 question of. Um, he has to be like us in every way to yeah. save us completely. Yeah. Right. He, if he only his mind is divine, right. and only, then all that's really being redeemed are our minds. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's a we know that all of us, our our entire physical body, including all of us, has to be represented before the Father right. and dealt with, and that sin dealt with. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's critical though. As we think through these lofty things, it's like, oh, you guys are just yeah. Why does this matter so much? Why does this matter? We're, what are we just really just kicking around words? Well, no, it matters because if we get this wrong, if we get Christ wrong, we get our salvation wrong. Yeah. Then our confidence before God, we we can we really draw near to the throne of grace? Right. Uh, can with confidence? Can we really do that? Or uh, so th- these these matters are important. So mm-hmm. yeah, keep going. Yeah. Um, there was another heresy. Um, that maintained, it's called Nestorianism, this idea that um, basically there were two different persons, mm-hmm. kind of like roommates yep. within 
Jesus of Nazareth. There was the divine person and the human person. Um, and so, you know, what the church has affirmed is that, you know, that this is one person with two natures mm-hmm. and those natures are united in the one person, yeah. but those natures are not mixed together so that they, they lose their distinctness, yeah. um, not changed so that he's some hybrid God man thing that we aren't mm-hmm. he, in his humanity. He is what we are but without sin so that he can save us completely while in his divinity, he is fully God so that he can actually pay for our sin. Right. Yeah. That line in this union two whole, perfect and distinct. So they're separate because another is another, uh, one of the heresies was this, the, the natures were this weird hybrid. That yeah. There was a mixture, mixture or yep. a confusion of the two, which if that's true, then Christ actually becomes this third thing that we aren't. Yep. Um, he's either, he's no longer divine or human, but this weird hybrid of the two, which again, that doesn't represent us before God, which is what we need. Exactly. Um, so that is all, you know, putting the pieces in place. And I think what's, what's unique about the, the Chalcedonian definition um, if you if you read it, it's kind of the the last word mm. on the definition of the person work or the person of Christ. Mm-hmm. If you read it, there's a lot of talking and negation. Mm-hmm. Not this, not that, not that, not that, um, which is helpful because uh, it, it it negates without being overly positive, if you will. It doesn't it? It just kind of Christ is there's there's a category of mystery here right. of how the two work together. We know enough to be able to say it's not that, not that, not that. Yep. Um, and we know enough to know what it has to be in order for us to be, in order for our salvation to be secure, as the New Testament is clear about. Mm-hmm. So I just think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Yeah. Um, there's wisdom in saying clearly and confidently what scripture is clear and confident about mm-hmm. and leaving the secret things to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly how the personal work of Christ or the person of Christ and his two natures perfectly work we're likely not going to get our head fully around. Yeah. But we can get our head around is it was in such a way that I am now, that he was both God strong enough to actually pay for and be the absolute perfect substitute, the only one, the only being who could actually take on the full wrath of God and propitiate our sins, as well as being fully human enough to represent us in all of us, not just our minds, not just our spirits, but all of us are body and, and soul. Yeah. So those are critical components that that's who Christ is. And I think just the way that this comes from uh, Steve, Stephen Wellham, his famous book, God, the son incarnate, he would say that is the most, that's the full name, the full understanding of who Christ is. He is God, the son incarnate. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and that's, that's helpful that yeah. he, that, and that's riffing on, Obviously, John 1, and the word became flesh Mm. and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's that's the joy of of the incarnation and the two natures of Christ. If I could turn us in a direction that someone might be curious about, especially based off of the the section of the statement of faith that comes right before this, um, and this would maybe tie into a little more of that first part of this person of Christ. Um, but if Jesus is fully human, then how is he without sin? How is he, you know, we're t- we just talked about 
man and being born into sin and taking on Adam, Adam's sin. So how then is Jesus separate from that or different in that way? Yeah, that's why that statement in our statement of faith, uh, that second sentence, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit mm. and born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, that really matters yeah. because while he is fully human, he is without sin because he has as his father, God, the father. And so he is a new Adam. Uh, Adam was not born of an earthly father. He was created from the dust of the ground by God, the father. And Adam is the head of the human race. Jesus is the new and better Adam without an earthly father born of a virgin conceived by the Holy spirit so that he does not inherit the sin of Adam, but he now is the head of a new humanity. Everybody who's joined to him covenantally by faith uh, is covered in his righteousness. And so um, he, he still has a full human nature. He is actually human. He's born in a human body and has mm-hmm. everything that comes with humanity, a human mind and human will and human emotions um, because he has a, a human mother and he's mm-hmm. You know, she carries him for nine months and gives birth to him, and he's he's born into the world, but conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and, and that's again like Matt was saying. There's mystery in this. It's not mm-hmm. like in stating that we are explaining the physics of it or right. the biology of it or the we just know <laughs> mechanics. Yeah, we, just, we take it by faith that that that's what Scripture claims and testifies, and we believe that to be true about Jesus, and we recognize that that's essential to our salvation. Yes. It was necessary for him to be like us in every way, yet without sin. Mm. And um, that's what scripture presents to us. Mm. It's just such a savior, fully God mm. and fully man. Oh man, are we going to make it? <laughs> are we going to make it? <laughs> next section, next section. These are next sections. Oh, uh, okay. We'll, we'll press on. Maybe, maybe we'll just do one more section. We'll, we'll press on. Okay. The next, the next heading, earthly life and ministry. Uh, So as God's incarnate son, our Lord Jesus Christ inaugurated the kingdom of God, fulfilling God's saving purposes in all Old Testament prophecies about the one to come. He is the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the prophet like Moses, the priest after the order of Melchizedek, the son of David, the suffering servant and God's appointed Messiah. As such, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and lived a sinless life in complete obedience to his father. Jesus entered into full human existence, enduring the common infirmities, temptations, and sufferings of mankind. He perfectly revealed the character of God, taught with divine authority and utter truthfulness, extended God's love and compassion, and demonstrated his lordship through the working of miracles and the exercise of divine prerogatives. Mm. That's so good. Mm. And this section really does highlight the... uh, uh, the, the biblical theology, the study of biblical theology of um, the Bible being one organic story that that from beginning to end, it has a divine author who is weaving all these storylines, all these contexts uh, into one meta story mm-hmm. and, and really highlights all those pieces along the way that um, these breadcrumbs that God dropped in uh, after, from Genesis 3 on yeah. of, of there is one to come who will crush the head of the serpent. And then finally... Getting to Christ, we see this is this is the the, the climax of yeah. the whole crescendo of the Old Testament, where finally the chorus sings loud, and you see Christ uh, as the fulfillment of all of it, um, starting with our Lord Jesus Christ 
inaugurated the kingdom of God. Something new is coming mm-hmm. and has come, an inbreaking of the kingdom of God that he is not of this world. His, his origin is not of this world, but he comes now to make the kingdom of God break in to the kingdom of man, the kingdom of the devil, which has ruled all these many years, mm-hmm. not without, not free from God's sovereign plan, but has been in God or Christ is coming to defeat that enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the cross he does and all, but it's not just the cross. All of his life is the fulfillment of all of the old Testament prophecies, the law, all of it's taking place in the person of Christ and in his, um, and what he did in his life and ministry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, as you were saying, Ryan, he entered into full human existence. Mm-hmm. He, he, he wasn't, he wasn't walking on water all the time. Right. He, there is a, there all of all of our infirmities and uh, all of our everything that we experience Christ experienced himself mm-hmm. um, and yet was without sin and and I think the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry really highlights that that point yeah. um, when the devil says to him well if, if you really are the Son of God you know say to these stones turn turn them into bread here you are in in the wilderness and you're hungry. Um, yeah, the, wh- what is it about that? That's a, a temptation. Exactly. What would be wrong? You know, d- does he, doesn't he have the power to do that? Couldn't he do that? Well, uh, it highlights for us, Jesus lived his life on earth as a human in reliance on the father for everything. He That's depended right. on mm-hmm. God for by his faith. daily bread and lived by faith in the word of God. And so he answers the devil, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he's living by faith, trusting the father. He's not using his divine prerogatives, his ability, you know, well, as God, he could turn the stone into bread, but then he'd be living his life in a way that none of us lives life <laughs> just essentially you know using his supernatural abilities to cut corners or make life easier for himself um when i would teach on this doctrine to high school students uh i would always use the example of superman you know clark kent looks like a human being just like the rest of us from the outside so he has a job as a reporter and he's got his suit and his his glasses and he looks normal until there's an emergency and he goes into a telephone booth and he spins around and, you know, underneath he's got his super suit on. He rips off his, his suit and he's got this big S on his chest. And actually, he's an alien. <laughs> you know, it turns out he's, he's, not, he's not a human. Yeah. He's not mm-hmm. from this planet. He's not one of us. He's a, made out of, you know, he's a man of steel. He can fly. He can see through walls. He's, he's not like us. And he uses his superpowers to save the day. Jesus is not like that, an yeah, right. alien from another planet who comes in, looks like us on the outside, just enough so he can kind of, you know, pass through our midst undetected until there's an emergency. And then he uses these, these right. superpowers. No, he, he was fully human like us. And he lived his human life by faith in the father. Um, so th- that really changes everything when, when we yes. think about the humanity of Christ. And, um, you know, I would, often ask the question, because this gets at kind of how we tend to perceive Jesus in his human life. Um, we think of him, obviously, as the Son of God, rightly so, but but we often make mistakes in thinking what that meant for his humanity. So I, w- I would ask students, you know, if, if Jesus hypothetically had played Little League baseball, could he have struck out? Um, if, he, if he played basketball, w- would he ever have missed a free throw? 
and a lot of times you can see the, the gears grinding in somebody's mind of like, well, well, he's God. So no, like he'd never strike out. He would never miss a shot. Well, the reality is that's not sin, right. not sin to strike out. It's not sin to miss a shot. He, mm-hmm. he was a human. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had to learn how to walk, which meant he would have fallen down at, like any toddler learning to walk. It's not yeah. like he just popped up and took off running. Yeah, he had so, some bruises on his forehead. Yeah. yeah. Cuts and scrapes and, you know, things that are not sin, but just part of human existence. Yeah. He, he actually lived his life as a human. And that culminates, the, the main difference between him and, you know, like a Superman, he died. He, right. He was actually obedient. So let's, let's, let's do it. Let's do this last section. Yes. All right. Death, <laughs> resurrection, and reign. Having fully obeyed his father in life, our savior was also obedient unto death. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate, dying a substitutionary death for the sins of his people. He was buried and arose bodily from the dead on the third day, vindicating his identity and saving work as God's Messiah and guaranteeing the defeat of death, our future resurrection and the glorification of our physical bodies. Forty days later, Jesus ascended bodily to heaven where he is now enthroned at the right hand of God, reigning over all things and interceding for his people as their great high priest. Mm -hmm. One day he will return to judge all people and angels, putting all enemies under his feet and dwelling with his people forever. Mm -hmm. That's so so good. I mean, the flow of this and as all of these pieces go, this is where these doctrines the value of them and, and just the theology, it, it does enter our minds, but it, it then, it makes a difference in then how we live. Just as we talk about the humanity of Christ, when, when Jesus takes on this, our humanity, he identifies with us fully and he does so forever. He does so for good. Like, it's not like he was a man and then he was killed and then now he's something else again. No, he, he carries on as the incarnate Christ right. to fulfill all his promises to us. And that, that, that highlights, you know, he is the prophet of prophets. You know, he is the definitive revelation of God. He is the priest of all priests. He is the sacrifice to which all sacrifices pointed. And he is the king of all kings. He's David's greater son whose kingdom mm. will have no end. So as that part, part highlights and as yeah. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 highlights, the day is coming when he will vindicate the fullness of all those offices of prophet and priest and king right. for his people. Yeah, and it, you hear that in the, which is so critical, you hear that repeated in that section in the statement of the physicalness, the bodiliness of his death, and then also the physicalness of his resurrection and his ascension. There is, it's a physical, often we think, well, was Jesus just spirited away? Um, yeah. Which leads to you know this pietistic, gnosticistic like yeah. it's well, this world is all doesn't really matter. It's all going to burn away, and then we'll join him in the in some other in the dim- clouds in some other cloud dimension. No, that physical, eternal, physical nature of God is the basis of our hope for this mm-hmm. glorious resurrection, right. which is such a hope for us. Yeah, in systematic theology, we often break up these two things: the person of Christ and the work of Christ. Uh, they go together, obviously, who yeah. he is is essential to what he does. Yes. Uh, in our statement of faith, these are two different sections. We're in section six, the person of Christ. Section seven that we'll get to is the saving work of Christ. And yet this section, well, the last two here in the person of Christ is dealing with his work. ministry, yeah. his death, his resurrection, yeah. which seems yeah. like his work. And yet in this section of our statement, the emphasis is on who he is yep. At every phase, from his birth, yep. his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and now 
his reigning. Yes. And, and the emphasis is on this fact that he remains, Caleb, like you're saying, fully God and fully man. Yeah. And that is a mind-blowing thing. He, he became a man forever. Not it wasn't temp- a temporary phenomenon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Wish and that, we could have seen it. That fulfills ultimately what promise, uh, what scripture promises, like Psalm 8 and Hebrews 2 makes this connection when it says, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. It has been testified somewhere, and the author quotes Psalm 8, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, the author says, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, Mm. so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Mm. So the author of Hebrews is saying, he is the Psalm 8 son of man who is crowned with glory and honor forever because it has been God's purpose from the beginning. He made a world, he made humans in it, he gave them dominion over the earth. It was God's purpose to be, you know, his image reflected in the earth through humans ruling the earth under him, that's going to happen because Jesus is that human who will reign over the earth forever. Yeah. Yeah. He is the King. He is the seed of David. He is the, the one who, who has, who will build God's house, a house for God's name, and then will reign and rule over it. And without earth will be one. That's Mm -hmm. right. So that is who Christ is. And when we talk about Christ, we're not just talking about the son. We're, we're talking about, Jesus, mm. uh, the the God Man, the mm. the the Word becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us, and we've seen His glory. Jesus of Nazareth. That's crazy. And to think, God became man, mm. an act not of subtraction but addition, uh, a taking on yeah. of the human condition. The mm. Church Father who said, uh, "Remaining what He was, He became what He was not." Right. Mm. Remaining what He was is critical. Mm-hmm. It wasn't yeah. a, He didn't become less God mm-hmm. to become to take on the other man. Um, so again, it's glorious. much more to say, very glorious. And then the next time we'll, we'll look at his saving work, which is even more glorious. <laughs> so, all right, till next time. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.